Thank you for joining us again for another one of our Bible studies. This evening, what I would like to be doing is inviting you to join with me as we continue in that series on the sayings of Jesus. I'm going to be speaking from Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to explore a passage that uh, is often explored to get a lot of different details. I want to just take it and refresh our mind and come to some challenging thoughts. When, um, when we were raising our kids, which we thoroughly enjoyed, and we really enjoyed the different phases when our two oldest were real young, all the way to the point when they became teens, and we had the addition of another two, and it was all, all for us a great time of, of joy, delight. I mean, we had our moments, but overall, looking back, it was a real, a, a real fun time. And now that I'm Papa to all their kids, one of the things that the kids really, really enjoy is when I tell stories, not only stories that I make up, but especially stories about their moms and dads, and tell about some of their childhood experiences, which I don't know if my kids really appreciated me doing, but I love doing it anyway, to tell their kids about things that they did when they were little ones. The, uh, the idea of being able to learn about somebody's childhood is really, really kind of special to all of us. I remember, and I shared with you, that just a few weeks, months back, when my mother passed away, we spent a couple evenings with my father, where during that period of time, we just sat and we talked about his childhood experiences, and going through some photo albums, and it was a real eye-opener to find out some of his background and some of my family ancestry. But it was a real delight, and he enjoyed as well talking about his childhood, and we learned a lot. And I regret that we didn't even record that evening just to make sure that we could remember it all. But that's the way we are. We like to hear about family. We like to hear about the background of relatives. We like to hear about the background of heroes, books written about the Lincolns and the childhoods of the Washingtons. And we, we like to get some kind of a background to get to know those people a little bit better. Well, our greatest hero has a little bit given about his background and his childhood. We don't have a whole lot, but we have a few of the details that talk about Jesus Christ, his birth, which is recorded in Matthew as well as Luke, giving us some of the details in the background. They talk about how when he was just days old, he was presented at the temple, and then that's when they met Simeon and Anna. We read in the Gospels the idea that he was visited when he was about two years of age, when the wise men came to the house in Bethlehem and visited the Christ child, Mary and Joseph, there at that time all settled in, and things became unsettled, if you recall. Even that evening, the they were warned, you need to flee because Herod is attempting to kill the Christ child. So they fled into Egypt. How long they lived there, we don't know. But the weeks, the months that they were down there, they stayed until they were redirected to come back into the region, uh, back into what we would call the Jewish region at that time of the world. And when they went back, they thought they were going to be settling into the area of Bethlehem once again, but they were warned that Herod was still in that region. So they went north, back to their home area of Galilee, and specifically the town of Nazareth. And we don't have a whole lot of details about Jesus during that time, except for in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, it tells us about his childhood years, how he went back and grew up in Nazareth, and it gives us not a whole lot of detail. In fact, we find 
find out that he at age 12 went down towards Jerusalem with his parents. We're going to look at that text a little bit more. And then the only other verse that gives us information is what we read in Luke chapter 2 verse 52 and it summarizes his teen years, his 20 something years and it tells us that he just grew as a young person, young adult and he spent 18 years of his life there in Nazareth. And so we take all those passages and put together what we can and we say, okay, what do we know about Jesus? What do we know about his childhood? What do we know about his teen years? What do we know he was like when he was in his 20s? And we get a few facts and details and some challenging examples to us that I'd like to explore this morning. So you have your Bibles. We're headed into the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be reading some of this section. And let me just read it through, and then we'll explain. Let's jump down to verse 39. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother, <coughs> excuse me, said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things, these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. Taking that passage along with others, let's make some observations about Jesus' childhood. <coughs> Excuse me. Observation number one that I want you to catch, and this is important because of what is often explored, explained, given out uh, on internet or in other circles. We want to make sure that you understand that Jesus did not perform any miracles in the early years of his life. We read in John chapter 2 when he goes to Cana and performs the wedding of Cana, this is the beginning or the first of all of the signs and miracles which he did. Now that is not the common thought amongst many different church folk. In fact, there are a lot of different pieces of extra-biblical writing. And in these extra-biblical writings, some that have been compiled years ago, some that are more recent, they talk about how Jesus, as a child, did a variety of different miracles. Let me give you just a sampling of what these books say. Some of the books, they say that Jesus actually spoke while he was still in the cradle, announcing his divine nature to his mother. So as an infant, he had this miraculous ability to speak. Others say that even, a, and they give the story of a demon-possessed child that was cured by coming in physical contact with the swaddling clothes that were used for Jesus there in the stable. Other folk were healed when Jesus' bath water was 
put out or they came into physical contact with anything used to wash him. Some say that Jesus was able to recite the Hebrew alphabet as a toddler even before anybody started to explain or recite or give him any instruction in that area of his, his language. Others say that there was a playground incident, such as this one where Jesus was playing with Judas, the one who would later betray him. And as children, they were playing together, but Judas was already possessed by Satan, so he tried to bite Jesus. He wasn't able to, but then he hit Jesus, and he hit him, according to this legend, exactly where Jesus would be speared when he was upon the cross. There's the legend that says that age five, Jesus made some of his toys come to life and actually move about. At age seven, he makes clay animals sitting with a group of his friends. And his animals are able, the birds that he made, start flying around the room. At uh, that same age, he got angry with a boy, and it is said that he made this boy to wither up and, he, and just eventually disappear altogether. There's stories about how he got upset with other children who made fun of him, and he blinded them. There's the story that's given that Jesus wanted to climb the tree with his friends, and he wanted to make it easier, so he ordered the tree to bow down. He was able to step on the top branch, and the tree righted itself. There's stories about how Jesus, even as a youngster and in his teen years, he uh, went and visited and eventually worked at one of the shops nearby, not not a carpenter shop, but a fabric shop where they did dye. And Jesus was so exceptional because he could meet every single color that a customer asked for by using just one bowl to dip the fabric in. There's the stories that talk about how Jesus, when he was uh, a youngster working with his dad, if his dad wanted a board a certain length, Jesus would touch that board and either expand it or shorten the board so it'd be the exact length that his father wanted. Jesus is said to have cured a boy by the name of Simon, who he later calls Peter, who had been poisoned, and as a result, that impacted Peter to want to follow Jesus in his adulthood. Jesus supposedly did the same thing for his brother James. When he got sick, Jesus cured him from that which was his ailment. There's lots of these stories that talk about Jesus from his childhood and then into his teen years about him doing miracles. And yet the Bible says none of that ever occurred. He did his very first miracle when he was at the wedding of Cana. So let's make that observation. Jesus as a child basically did no miracles. And let's step up, up, up further uh, a bit. Jesus as a child had a normal childhood. In fact, he had a normal teen years, very similar to yours and mine, and into his young adulthood. Uh, normal in this sense, that Jesus grew up in a normal type of a family for that day, and even in some of our families today. Jesus had siblings. He had the brothers. He had at least two sisters and these four brothers that are mentioned. And so Mary and Joseph, contrary to what some churches say, Mary and Joseph did have uh, a family the normal, regular way, and they Jesus as the oldest of at least seven children. Jesus had a normal childhood in that he grew up like others. I read already in verse 40 that he grew waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, that he increased in wisdom and in stature. So he went through the same things we go through. He would have gone through the physical growth, would have gone through losing his baby teeth, would have gone through some of those, um, those pains, those growing pains that some talk about, would have gone through the normal experiences of learning how to interact with people, knowing how to do things. Could he have ever made a mistake? Sure. Jesus may have set the table wrong because he didn't know how it was to be set. 
And so Jesus had to learn just like you learned, just like I learned. Jesus had that normal childhood where he interacted, had the scrapes, had the bumps, had the, had the uh, experiences with brothers and sisters. And so we know that he had that normal childhood. And in his youth, we, we know that there is nothing that stood out that caused the people in his hometown or in that region roundabout to say that he was extraordinary. In fact, when he comes on the scene, the local region, the people keep on saying, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this from that family with Mary and all of his siblings? They didn't notice anything where he stood out, where he was a miracle worker, that they would have marked him and said, okay, he's exceptional, he's unusual, and that would have carried into his adulthood. That didn't happen. He had that normal experience, normal experience of a teen, learning a career, a trade. His happened to be that of being a carpenter, that he worked until he was age 30. And so Jesus had everything normal like you do, like I do, so he can say to us that he understands what it's like to go through some of those problems that teens go through, those challenges, those body changes. It happened to Jesus. Now, the extraordinary thing is Jesus didn't sin. Could he have made a mistake that wasn't sinful? Sure. But he never sinned. And remind yourself that even as a child, Jesus had committed no sin. There was no deceit found in him. He was one who was tempted as a teenager, yet without sin. His, his ideas, uh, the scriptures I give the idea that he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. So he didn't wither away children. He didn't cause people to become blind. In fact, the Bible talks about, again, stressing him multiple times. There was no sin in him. As the spotless, unblemished Lamb of God to be sacrificed, Jesus was perfect though he had to go through human experiences of learning and developing and the physical, social, emotional, all those different aspects he experienced without giving in to temptation and sinning. Something else I want to make an observation about. Jesus, as we learn from Scripture, received good spiritual instruction as a child. How do I know that? Luke chapter 2, verse 41. The simple phrase, now his parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. To get the full blunt of, well, brunt of what that passage says, let's go back and let's talk a little bit about Jewish culture and understanding. In that time period, men were required to go and attend annual feasts in Jerusalem three times a year. That was what was recommended from the Old Testament law, stated as a requirement. But in the Mishnah, the writings where the Jews over the periods of years gave explanation and they gave understanding and the practical application of all those teachings, they came up and said, so it was very common by the time Jesus uh, arrived in the area of, of Galilee, they had this practice. If you live 15 miles or more away from Jerusalem, you didn't have to come to three feasts, but rather you had to just come one pilgrimage a year. And again, this was for the men. And so the men would make the pilgrimage. Most of the time, it would be the choice to go down to Jerusalem at the Passover season. Many times, and in many different writings, we have that the men went, but the ladies would stay at home and keep the toddler, keep the baby, keep the farm, keep things managed at home. And so the men with their teen boys would make the pilgrimage. That was a requirement. But the ladies not always went, except for in the family of Joseph and Mary. They were very exceptional in that they both went down 
annually on a regular basis along with all of their children, which would obviously be a difficult time to do. You know how it is, traveling with babies, traveling with toddlers. And so they made this this practice. And remember, Jesus is about 12 years of age at this passage. He has six brothers and sisters. So there's little kids that Mary and Joseph have to be tending while they're traveling. And so they go down on an annual basis. And so we also know this from history that at that age 13, okay, the children would be bar mitzvah, the boy that is. And what the Mishnah also taught was that the fathers were supposed to be doing special training of those sons when they were 11, 12 years old. They were to bring them down, bring them along so they could see the Passover and get, a, get teachings even at the temple or some instruction. But the dads were to be very proactive in training their children in the ways of Jewish culture, custom, and creed. And so Jesus would have been a product of his mom and dad's influence and their teaching, and he would have learned, okay, a lot of the different scriptures. So he's increasing in wisdom. He's increasing in his knowledge of the Lord. Some of that even came through his parents who were giving him the instructions. Some came through his own growing inner awareness of who he was, what was his mission. And that brings us to the bulk of the story that we come to, that Jesus as a youth came to realize when he was in that preteen, teenage years, he came to realize that he was unique. When that came to full fruition, I don't know. Neither do you, neither does anybody else. However, we know that he increased in knowledge, he increased in his awareness, and as they come to that Passover story that we read in Luke 2, Jesus has a greater awareness of who he is, and we see it very clearly in the comments that he makes. Let's explore this passage a little bit more. We already stated that this would be a time that Jesus would go because his family went, and he would have gone anyway if just Joseph had made the trip because of his age. And so they come and join all these crowds that come down to Jerusalem and understand this whole story and the whole setting. The city is exploding with people that at the Passover season that would approach every spring, the city would all of a sudden expand multiple times over with all these pilgrims, with all these strangers, with all these caravans that would come. And so to accommodate all this extra flow of people for this feast day, the Jewish uh, priesthood had a system where they would rotate a certain number of priests throughout the year. But on this one feast... All of the priests were required to be there from all over the region because of the great amount of people there. So you've got a city overflowing, just great crowds, shoulder to shoulder that are in town. And this feast day would last typically one full week of celebration, uh, teaching, instruction, different events. But some people would just stay for the two, three-day weekend. Mary and Joseph, this text talks about, they fulfilled the days. Literally, they stayed the whole week. And so they had to find housing. They had to find a place, whether it be with relatives or friends or, you know, the, the local inn. They had to find a place to accommodate a family of nine. There they were with their family. Jesus is there. And so they're there for the whole week. And uh, for Jesus, this was an important visit, as we've already mentioned, that he would be brought along so that he would be bar mitzvahed. And so in their culture, this plays into a lot of this story. Jesus is at the threshold of becoming an adult in his own mind as well as in the mind of everybody in the community. He's becoming one that would be 
somewhat independent, though still dependent upon parents. And so this was an important event that takes place in the life of Jesus. And we understand what happens, that Jesus is separated by his parents, by his own choice. Jesus is separated parents, and they lose him. And so it would be easy to do because of the large number of people. And when they do leave the city, there's a lot of people traveling out of town at the same time. We understand as well that these people, when they travel as caravans, and Pastor Tony mentioned some of this as he gave background to one of the names of God last week. He talked about how in the caravans you would have not the family all traveling together during the day, but typically the caravans would have the men at the back, some men at the front, the ladies and the kids would be in the middle. And so they provide the direction, the protection, and they would set it up that way. And so you have the strong possibility that these families would, wouldn't know where Jesus was, Mary and Joseph wouldn't, because Jesus is that young man now. Could he be with Joseph at the front or at the back? Or Joseph could be thinking he's with his mom, uh, because that's the way it's been for all these years. And so for Jesus to stay behind and mom and dad to think he's with the other person in the caravan, you can see that happening pretty easy, that, that it would take place, especially with all the peoples, and you've got, you got to get home, and plus Mary's taking care of other children as well. And so there's a lot of activity going on. And so the people, the parents are assuming Jesus has made it at his own point. He's opted to stay and not inform them. And so it all plays together that all of a sudden they get out of town. They realize that Jesus isn't with them. And so they return to the city. They're gone for the day of travel. They realize they come back. It takes another day. They spend another day moving about the city trying to find Jesus. That gives you your three days. And so would they go to where Jesus and them had stayed? Would they go to relatives? Would they go to family, friends, or, or folk they knew living in Jerusalem? They'd have to check it all out. And so eventually, they come to the temple area. They find Jesus there. When they come into the temple area and find Jesus, we read already how Jesus was there, and he's busy interacting with the teachers who are there. Now, I want, I want to make sure you understand, and as we read and try to stress when they, in the reading, that Jesus was sitting there, both hearing them and asking them questions. And then we read their response, all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. This text does not teach that Jesus became the teacher. This text doesn't teach that all of a sudden Jesus took over the temple. Jesus, as a young man, goes and sits with the instructors who typically would instruct at different rooms and locations around the temple proper, that he would be joining a crowd, getting involved, asking questions. And so they're amazed by his answers. They're amazed by his insight, which is superior to the typical child and young man at that point. So Jesus, uh, his parents find him. They come in and they wonder how he could treat them that way. They took this as a personal offense, a personal problem that Jesus had not informed them, which you would too which you and I would be upset if our kids all of a sudden just walked away. And we would say, why did you do that? We would challenge them. And we would, especially as they got a little bit older and they, they know our family standard of informing, we'd be upset if they didn't inform us. And Mary and Joseph, like typical parents, come in and they rebuke Jesus and they ask him and why he didn't. His response is the interesting part. Jesus responds in Luke and he makes the comment where he says, how is it that you sought me? I, I don't understand why you were so concerned and, and looking all over for me. Uh, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And so his response is giving us indication that he's unique at this point in the sense that he is understanding 
exactly more of who he is and what he's supposed to be doing and his mission. His father's business, which some, some and there's difference of interpretation and understanding his statement because, because the lack of clarity in the original language. I must be about my father's business or be in my father's house. Uh, carrying the same concept. So Jesus is, when he makes this statement, he says, my father, this is very abnormal. Jews didn't talk that way. They didn't use father when referring to God. In fact, if you go in the Old Testament, there's only 14 times that this is recorded in the Old Testament where they use that. And on every occasion, it's the entire nation of Israel referring to God as father or God talking to them, referring to himself as the father of Israel. So on a personal level, this wasn't the way that people would address or talk about God. And yet Jesus does giving some real insight of his understanding that he has a unique relationship. He has a unique fellowship with the Father in heaven. And so Jesus, showing this awareness, has this unique, uncanny situation where he, even as a youngster, is becoming more and more aware, fully aware of who he is and what he's supposed to be doing. Let me make another observation. In this whole story, Jesus provides us some really good example or examples in several different areas. One of the areas that stands out right away, and you got it already by, without me saying it, is his desire and determination to do what God wants him to do. That his, his dedication, even as a teen, a young teen, 12, 13 years of age, saying, I need, I must be doing what my father wants me to do. That really is atypical. Most of us as teens, we weren't interested in doing what our earthly father wanted us to do, much less our heavenly father. Most of us were more interested in doing what we wanted to do. I know that that was a trial in my life. That was a challenge in my life that I made my plans. I made what I wanted to do. And yet, I, yes, I worked as my dad wanted me to work in the station and doing different things like that. But I was more oriented to doing what Wayne wanted to do rather than my earthly father. And I had no concerns at that point about my heavenly father. Jesus really is outstanding, unique in this way. Now, he's like some of the teens that you and I have the privilege of knowing here in our church, in our church family, that some of them, in that same way, to a degree, have a desire to obey God. They're saved. They're born again. They're dedicated. They followed in baptism. And they've determined they want to serve him. And I appreciate those teens that have that heart's desire. Well, Jesus had that. Good example for all of us. Good example for the young people to have a determination to do God's will in his life. But he also provides an example of how to interact with people, in particular his family. We read in the text that afterwards, after they have a discussion, they find him, that he, can, that he went down with them and he goes, actually goes north, but coming down from Jerusalem, everybody would go up to Jerusalem or no matter where, what direction. But they would, he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and very emphatically it, was, it stated he was continually subject unto them, to his mom and dad. Uh, that's not what I would have expected. I would have expected in reading this text that maybe what Jesus would have done is just like they did in the Old Testament where Samuel ends up living at the temple where Eli brings him in and raises him. You know, somebody so dedicated and so determined to want to learn about the temple, Jesus could have stayed, but he didn't. 
Uh, I would have expected this, that Mary and Joseph, at this moment, seeing who Jesus was, having heard so many different things about Jesus and the angels speaking to them and, and getting direct revelation from the Lord in that sense, I would have expected them to recognize that they should be subject unto Him, therefore ask Him, what do you want us to do? What should we do? You tell us. But that's not the, how this plays out. What happens in this text is Jesus does exactly what God's will is. Now we read in Ephesians, written at later, that it says, Obey your parents for this is right, and uh, honor your mom and dad, which is the first commandment. We read that phrase, though it's written later, it's referring to the command that was given generations before. That there's obedience, there's to be honor and respect to parents. And so Jesus, living under the Old Testament, under principles and the will of God, he is going to follow that and give his parents the respect, the honor, and the obedience that they deserve and which God requires. And so there's the challenge. There it is, laid out flat right before us. Jesus is obeying mom and dad, respecting mom and dad on a continuous basis, even though he's better than them. He's smarter. He's more spiritual. He's got a greater mission than they did. Even though he deserves their submission, he is willing to submit to them. Even though his a submission means now he's going to be in Nazareth, and can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, who wants to grow up in this Hodung town? And so he's saying, no, I'm going to be submissive to mom and dad, even though it's not going to be glamorous, it's not going to be glorious, but I, this is what God wants me to do for this period of my life and to obey them, respect them, and do what I'm supposed to be doing as a young adult. He is one who is humbling himself to listen to mom and dad, the authorities over him, even though he's close to being independent himself. Again, culturally, he's getting into that adulthood years. He's an individual who's already shown that he's been a good son all this time. He has not sinned. He has not provided all kinds of difficulty for them. This shocks them. They don't understand why he left them and uh, departed and stayed in Jerusalem. And so Jesus could have said, you know, I, I've had enough doing this. I've, I've listened to you all these years. That's enough. I'm going to do my own thing. Not Christ. Christ knowing that this was the will of God and that, that God wanted him to respect and obey his earthly parents, he did it. Even though his parents don't understand him, even in this setting, it says once again that they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. They didn't fully comprehend what was going on. But Jesus, knowing that even in their mind, knowing that in their minds they don't understand, he is going to give them what God wants him to that is respect and obedience. Even though he felt he had a higher calling, that higher calling didn't mean he was ready to be disrespectful, to be disobedient. He was still under their authority per the will of God and the word of God. So Jesus humbled himself and he paid them that which they deserved according to God's word, even though he could have been about doing something that was far more spiritual in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of, of society as a whole, Jesus knew that this was important. This was his calling at this point in his life, that he was to honor them. So we come to that conclusion, Jesus humbled himself towards his parents because this was God's will. What a challenge. What an example for you and me. That when we say, okay, what about the authorities? Now I have different authorities. I have the church body. We have the government. For some of you who are young, you have the authority of your parents. 
The parents who deserve your respect, they, they deserve very clearly that you obey them, even as a teenager. Even in that phase of your life where you say, hey, well, listen, listen, I'm getting to be a young adult. I should have a little bit more independence. Yes, there's, there's that aspect of growing independence. But you need to respect and obey them at that same time. So we ask you the questions, okay? Are you following that example of Jesus Christ? Let me make another observation. Another observation that is very important, and that is this. Jesus Christ had a deep, deep love for God's Word. A great love a desire, a hunger for that Word of God. You know, you and I get cravings for different things. Sometimes it's food. Some of you it's pizza. For some of you it's ice cream. For some of us it's the peanut M&Ms. Whatever our craving is, man, sometimes we just got to have it. Have you been through that right about now? That you say, hey, during this COVID shutdown time, I I just want to go out and order such and such an item. In fact, some of us get a craving that we say, I want to get out of this house. I want to get out on the road just to be out, just to get out of town. And so some people, you know, they have that craving, that strong desire. There are some of you who I don't understand. You have a craving to run, to do these exercises. God bless you. Okay? And I'm glad that you have that craving, that desire. For some of you, that's just like, you know, I've got to run. I want to run. I really want to get this in. Some days it's harder for you than other days. But it's something that you do because you find it extremely beneficial. You have a goal to get into a marathon or a half marathon. And so you say, this is something I really, really want to do. May not enjoy it all at the moment, but something I really want to do. There are some of who have cravings even for items. I don't know about your kids. My kids had animals, stuffed animals, or or a blankie that they thought that they just had to have, that they couldn't go to sleep without it. This was something that was just a strong, strong attraction and appeal to them. In fact, even some of our grandkids, even when we had them over during the time when Pastor Tony and his wife were away, one of the kids needed a certain stuffed animal or they couldn't go to sleep that evening. So what do we do? Sure enough, drive over to their house, get into the house, get that special animal and bring it back so that they are satisfied to have their craving met by having that favorite something. Well, Jesus Christ displays for us that there is a craving for the Word of God, a craving for the study of the Word of God. Let's remind ourselves that what happens in the temple at that time of this Passover celebration is the different leaders, the different teachers would gather down there with all these crowds. Remember, all the priests would come in and they would provide opportunities where they would teach, where they would give instruction, where they might hold a class over there or a class over here. They would do what some of the staff is doing, saying, I want to give something special for the teens. I want to give something for the kids. I want to give something in the Bible Institute. I want to give something for the addiction group. And so there was all these different smaller sectors of people that would gather and the leaders would would uh, give information, questions and answering and discussion about God, about God's word, about the different practices. And so what we read is Jesus is in the midst of some of these teachers, 
there at the temple, and he is asking questions. He is desiring to know more, to learn more. And so when they talk, his questions, they're amazed by some of the response he gives. They're amazed by some of the insights, some of the questions that he has. But Jesus is learning more and more. As a teen, he wants to learn more about God, which is found in God's Word. He wants to learn more about the way things should operate. It's found in God's Word. He has a desire, a hunger for the Word of God. And we look at that and we put it all together and say, well, this is where Jesus makes it very clear. I must, I'm, I day. The idea, I have to do this. This is a necessity in my life that it be about the things of God. That it be about learning about God. This is, this is something I must have in my life. Now, you and I know that. Jesus later on says this very idea when it comes to the Word of God. You've got to have the Word of God. Because it is, uh, because we do not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Job, I have esteemed your word more than my necessary food. Jeremiah, your words were found and I did eat them. These men of old, including our Lord, realized the importance of the word of God, that it was something we need to eat to take in. Ah, let me clarify. I don't mean physically eating. There's a true account in history of a, of a man who grew up in Ethiopia. He was taken as a slave for a period of time. And after those 10 years, he escaped. And he began to establish his own kingdom. He ends up becoming King uh, Menachel there of Ethiopia. And he brought Ethiopia into the modern world into the early 1900s and our late 1800s. And so what happens is this man has grown in stature, has grown in, in authority. And towards the uh, middle years of his king years, he's exposed to some missionaries. And they talk about the Word of God, and they talk about the need to take in the Word of God. And he takes it pretty literally. He starts a practice in his adulthood years where whenever he feels ill, he has somebody rip off a page of the Bible, and he literally eats it. Well, in the last days of his life, he suffered a minor stroke. And so what he decided to do was to get over this, get his strength back. He had them rip out all of First and Second Kings, and he ate them. Within a couple of days later, he died. Now, I'm not advocating when we say, take in the Word of God, that you physically eat the paper, the ink, and the parchments that upon it's written. You understand that. Do you understand that what we're talking about is taking in the Word of God by reading it, by studying it, so that it can feed your spirit? Well, Jesus said this feeding of my spirit was something that was a necessity. He says, this is something that I know is God's will. This is God's business, being about learning, about studying, getting more. And that's what God has told us further on in Scripture. Desire the sincere milk of the word. It's commanded that we hunger after, we crave for the word that we may grow thereby. We are supposed to be zealously going after the Word of God so that we are learning it, taking it in, so that we can be approved unto the Father. Jesus knew this. He knew that the study of God's Word was something that needs to be done now, in his teen years, not later on. Again, I take you back. I must be right now. This is important. And so Jesus took time for the Word of God. In fact, he took extra time for the Word of God by spending these days and saying, this is something as, as a young person I must have, and I must have it in my life now. We learn this, that it is something that he th said that I must do personally. 
The way that the phrase is in the original, there is different discussion, but pretty much everybody concludes that his idea is here, I must, me, for me, to me, I must be about the Father's business. That he makes it extremely personal. This is something that I need to be doing. And it is something that I personally have to get engaged in. Personally involved in the extra study of the Word of God. Reading of the Word of God. This is something that he says that is to be done regularly. Jesus makes it clear. This is something I must do over and over and over and over. And make it a part of my life. Which brings us to the idea that getting into the Word of God regularly is so important. He did it with great interest. Great zeal. Think about it. Have you ever gotten involved with something that you enjoy that all of a sudden time passes by? It flies by while you're playing the games on the video, while you're sitting there and inter- interacting with family and talking, while, while you're having a, a Bible study with some people. And all of a sudden you go, wow, I don't know where the time went. Well, you, you go out and you do something as a family and you go mini golfing, do whatever, and you say, whew, that went so by so quickly. Well, Jesus is going to spend three days in the temple. And he's going to be so focused on getting the Word of God, learning it, studying it, learning more about God Almighty, learning more from these teachers, asking questions and, and discussing things, that he approached it with great zeal, great interest. Wow, what an example. What a challenge. And so I have to ask myself, and I ask you some of these same questions, Do you personally read the Word of God? Do you study the Word of God? Beyond what you're doing with me right now, what do you do on your personal basis? Do do you make it a habit, a daily habit? You do eating, food. What about eating the Word of God? Taking it in, feeding your spirit, filling your heart. Do you sit and listen to lessons gladly? Or do you have to do this just because mom and dad are making you do this? Or your wife or your husband is forcing you to sit down and do this. Now, you have to ask yourself this question. Do you love the Word of God enough that you want to study it? Or is it of your mind that you have come to a point where frequently you say, Hey, I'm okay without spending any time in the Word of God. I'm strong enough. I'm good enough. I don't need to do this for me. Others may, but not me. Hmm. That's not the example that Christ gives us. The example of Christ gives us, should challenge us to think about, do we ever engage in questions about the Bible? Do we like those types of conversations? Do we seek to learn more? When's the last time you personally made it a point to study some aspect of theology, some questions of Scripture? And that you went out, you did some study, you asked some of those questions for expanding your own knowledge of God, His Word, and what you're supposed to be doing. Well, Jesus Christ provides a good example that as a teenager, this was something that he craved, something that he loved to be involved in, and that is the reading, the studying of God's Word. What a challenge for you and me to say, here we are, we have Bibles galore, we have opportunities so many, we have videos coming in, live streaming, we have opportunity to do other, other Bible studies with others over Zoom or other opportunities. Do you love the Word of God enough that you say, I, I need it, I'm going to take it in? And sometimes I know we drift, sometimes I know that it's hard to read the entire section compared to other days, But you look and say, this is something I really need. This is something that is beneficial, and I really want to do it. 
I really want to do it even if some days it's a little bit more difficult. There's a story I've told you several times about a William McPherson. He was the manager of one of those mining companies years ago as they were going and expanding railroad systems. He was caught in one of the explosions, lost his arms, was blinded, seriously injured. He, as a believer, had a desire to read the Word of God, but now he couldn't read. Now he couldn't even learn Braille, but he found out that he could sense things with the tip of his tongue. So what he did is he learned how to do Braille by by reading it with his tongue. And this man of God provides a challenging example that after his, his, uh, his experience, his injury from that explosion, that four times over in the next few years, he read through the scriptures via Braille by the tip of his tongue. Whew. Wow. That's dedication. That's devotion. That's what you and I need to have some type of a desire that we say with our eyes, with our great abilities, with our many opportunities, I need to be in the Word of God. I want to be in the Word of God. I love the Word of God. There's a, an account that is written by a Bible teacher, and he made an illustrative uh, observation about different creatures and how they have a hunger for the nectar. Let me read what Hamilton wrote and bring it to a conclusion. He talks about two different common insects that you would see in a field, any field, any yard nearby. One is remarkable for its imposing colors, which show in the sunbeams like dust of gems. As you watch its gyrations over the fields and through the yards, its minuet dance from flower to flower, you cannot help admiring its gracefulness, for it is plainly getting over a great deal of ground. But in that same field, there is another worker with black or brown, yellow vests, and very businesslike, it flies, its flight may not have arrested your eyes. While his f- friend is fluttering from, uh, from here to there and sips elegantly wherever he can find a drop of ready nectar, this dingy plotter makes it a point to land everywhere. And wherever he lands, he either finds the nectar, uh, he either finds the nectar or he makes great effort to dig deep until he gets it. If the flower cup be deep, he goes down to the bottom. If its dragon mouth be shut, he thrusts its lips open. And if the nectar is hard to find, he explores all about until he discovers it. His rival of the painted velvet wing has no patience for such dull and long-winded details. But the difference is, the one died last October. The other is warm in his hive amidst the fragrant stores of nectar that he has gathered and made into honey. The conclusion was, which type of Bible reader are you? A butterfly or a bee that digs deep? You and I need to be in the Word of God. No matter what our age, no matter what our gender, no matter what our situation, we need to be in the Word of God, and I hope you are. Father, I ask that you would help me and my friends to follow the example of Jesus Christ by making the Word of God our necessary food. Even as a teen, Jesus had that that desire. Even as a youngster, Jesus provides a great example to the rest of us of how we need to be diligently in your Word. Help us to do that this day, this week, beyond our work and beyond our busyness, beyond our other activities. Help us to make the time to love your word and spend time in it. I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thanks for being with us. Talk to you later.